If you have a Bible with you, uh, open it to Proverbs and be ready to flip. Uh, it might be better, again, to take a pen and a pencil and have those at the ready. Uh, or uh, You can write on the pencil, I suppose, but pen and paper or something like that, something more tangible to write on, um, so that you can, you can write down. We're going to be mentioning a lot of verses, uh, and so I, I want you to be able to, to check these things. Uh, you should be like the Bereans who, who double-checked even what Paul said. Um, if they double-checked what Paul said, you should double-check what I say. Trust me. But as the president once said, we need to trust and verify. So verify what I say this morning. And we've talked as we've walked through the book of Proverbs. This is our last time uh, being spent uh, during these, this month in the book of Proverbs. We've talked about sex and we've talked about speech. And now we are turning to money. And money, like the other two, is something of a touchy subject. No one likes to be told what to do with their money. And we have polar opposite reactions as to why. First, some care too much about their money. They would say, hey, this is my money. It's not yours. You don't have a right to tell me what to do with it. And you're right, as far as I am concerned, I have no right to tell any of you what you ought to do with your money. But when it comes to God, it is actually his money that he has lent to you. All of the good things that God has given you are his, and he can take them back at any time. And so you ought to listen to how he wants you to handle your money. Some might care too much for their money, but some maybe care too little. They will say things like, well, the best things in life are free. My answer to that is, have you never eaten food? Food is awesome and delicious, and it is certainly not free. If you find free food, tell me. I like free food, but most food is not free, right? As a matter of fact, most of the necessary things in our life are not free. You get to breathe air for free, but water, clean, potable water is not free. Food is not free. Shelter is not free. Clothing is not free. Heat is not free. Certain people care too little about their money. They are flippant with it, and therefore they are not good stewards. We need to be somewhere in between these two extremes. We can't care too much about our money nor too little. And so we're going to try and, and make a claim between these two extremes. We want you to be wealthy. You ought to want to be wealthy. Not rich, mind you, but wealthy. And when I say that, what I'm not saying is that we're trying to stake some sort of even claim between being poor and being rich. Like if you could get your earnings somewhere between a hundred and four hundred thousand dollars, that'd be great. You're not too rich. You're not too poor. That's not what we're doing. That's not what we mean by that. Anyways, setting a number amount for what is rich and what is poor is a really, well, forgive the pun, a poor way of doing that, right? Listen, I don't care where you are. Almost all of you are one percenters. You might not be one percenters in America, but almost every single person in here has a quality of life that far surpasses any kind of life that has come before yours, especially in America today. So for us to sit back and say, oh, we're very poor is completely historically anachronistic. It doesn't fit anything that has happened in history. Go back to the 1800s and tell people that you're poor. I don't think that they'll believe you. But tell me if you can go back to the 1800s, it'd be really fun. Um, so what we want to do is we, we want to figure out how to gain wealth. What, what should we be as far as wealthy goes? And what does it mean to be wealthy? How should we gain true wealth? Not the fake earthly wealth, but true wealth before God. In order to do that, we must first be wise. We must be wise. Given that our sermons this month have surrounded wisdom, I don't suspect that this is too surprising of a start. 
We must have right desires and true knowledge when it comes to money. That is how we've defined wisdom. It's right desires and true knowledge. And no doubt that is exactly what we must have in order to be wealthy in God. We must have wisdom in how we deal with money. Many times in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified. It means that wisdom is given almost human characteristics. One of these times is in Proverbs 3. We can read there in verses 13 through 16. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gains understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. When she says, when scripture says in her right hand and in her left hand, it means that she's offering these to you. Wisdom offers you life, but it also offers you riches. They are there. They're part and parcel. They come along with wisdom. Proverbs 8, 18 and 19, again, in a personification of wisdom, says much the same thing. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. We need to notice something, first and foremost, in both places where wisdom is personified. It is not just that riches are the end of wisdom. So in gaining wisdom, it's not just, I want to gain wisdom so that I can make major bucks. That isn't what it says. It comes along with wisdom, but it also says that that riches, those riches that come along with wisdom, are not comparable to wisdom itself. That there is a greater end of wisdom. But nevertheless, if we want to know what true wealth is, wisdom is the starting point. But we must be other things in order to be wealthy and have wealth. We must also be exalting. We must be exalting. We must exalt in the God of creation. We must give him glory and honor. Because if we want to have wealth, exalting God is necessary. Listen to Proverbs 3 again, verses 5 through 10. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your straight, straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats bursting with wine. Now, Given the situation and the culture that we find ourselves in, I want you to tell, tell you that this is not talking about seed money. So if you turn on television late at night, you'll oftentimes find well, seedy preachers preaching about seed money. You send me $10, the Lord's going to multiply that. He'll give you two times, he'll give you 10 times, he'll give you 100 times what you brought in and you will be wealthy that way. That is not what this is talking about. Rather, it means that you honor the Lord first, and that if you want to be wealthy, God will give you wealth, okay? It's really important, really important that this doesn't say when your barns will be filled with plenty and when your vats will be bursting with wine. It could be today. It could be 10 years down the road. It could be in eternity. You don't know when it is, but it is very clear that God will be faithful to give you what you need if you are faithful to give him what he requires, what does he require? As this says, honor the Lord with the wealth, with your wealth, and the first fruits of all your produce. Okay, that first fruits remind 
reminds us of Leviticus, right? In Leviticus 23, verse 10, we read, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. You are to bring it to the priest in order to bring it to the Lord. Now, in our minds, what this probably looks like is we gather up a field worth of harvest and then we take out a tenth of it and we set it aside and we say, okay, this is the first thing we're going to do. We're going to set this aside to the Lord. But it's not quite that. See, we have these pictures in Iowa of 85 tractors going down a row and combining all of it so that they can take an entire, you know, 40, 50, 60, 800 acres in the manner of a week. That's not what these people were doing. They're harvesting this by hand. And so this isn't an instantaneous thing. They've got to harvest their fields over the course of days and weeks. And what they're saying is, the first thing you bring in, while the rest of it's out in the field and open to the elements, the first thing you bring in goes to the Lord. If that night visits you with locusts and hail and flood and fire, you lose. The Lord gets his. Okay? It's a long process. These people are not to worry about the locusts. They're not to worry about the fire. They're not to worry about the flood because they serve the God of all creation. He keeps it all under his control. And one of the ways you demonstrate that is by giving him the first out of everything. This is what it means to honor him with the first fruits. The question becomes, if we're honestly concerned, and I think that we should be, with getting and making sure that we have security in finances and money in here, wheat, shouldn't we just take that first bit and keep it? Because then we don't have to worry about the fire and the stuff. I mean, that would be bad. Right? But we still have ours. Shouldn't we do that? Wouldn't that be just as secure of a way to make sure that we've got what we want? Now let's turn to Proverbs 18, verses 10 through 12. Verse 11 says this, A rich man's wealth is a strong city, like a high wall in his imagination. And you read that and you think, that's a really weird thing for Proverbs to say. A, a rich man's wealth is a strong city which makes it seem like he's protected by his wealth, right? And then it says, it's like a high wall in his imagination. We can read that and we can say, what, what that means is it's like a metaphor. He, he's protected by it. It's like having a high wall that protects him from all these evil things. It's just a metaphor is what he means by imagination. Proverbs require less context than almost any other part of the Bible, but we still have to read them in context. And this particular proverb has context before and after that makes a huge difference. So go back up to verse 10 and read verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is a strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Listen. Does the well, man's wealth give him protection? As the hordes are beating down on him and the armies want to come in, he's got a strong wall of protection. He says, no. The name of the Lord, the Lord himself is a strong tower. That high wall, that great fortress that he's built for himself, that he finds protection in is nothing but his imagination. There is no actual protection there. There is only destruction coming for him. The only lasting security ultimately is in the Lord. And so friends, when you come here to give of your money in tithes and offerings, you don't come and say, listen, what I'm trying to do, 
is I am trying to be as frugal as possible so that I can have an extra bit of money so that I can give more to the Lord. It doesn't work like that. You should be frugal with your money. You shouldn't spend it on extravagant things so that you do have more money to get to the Lord. That's, that's fine. But what the Bible repeatedly and almost always calls for is for your very best. And when it comes to income and it comes to money, that is your very first. It is priority number one. Give to the Lord. And now, anytime anyone gets up in front of people and speaks about giving to an organization that they themselves are attached to, they immediately think we're doing this for our own aggrandizement. So I would go back to what Pastor Richard said. First, it is for our members and our members only to support this. If people want to give money, we will cash your check, but that's not your job. We're not asking for any money from any visitor who comes here. Secondly, For the members who come here, presumably you're members because you think that we're doing the work of the Lord. And so there is no reason for you not to give of the first things that you get. Lest you think that we're not doing the work of the Lord, tell me, speak up. If that's not the case, then we should always be giving the best that we have and the first that we have in order to exalt God and honor him before all things. Proverbs 22, 1 through 4. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and favor better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Where do the rich and the poor meet? It's not at the soup kitchen, generally speaking, and it's not at the five star restaurant. They meet in the ground. That's where they meet. What he's saying here is there is only security in the Lord. The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord are riches. God will bless you with wealth, but you need to fear him first. He is your only security in life. He is your only security in death. So give him the first of everything you have. Exalt him in doing so. It's not just riches, but it is eternal riches. First Peter 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. There's your security. Hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven. That is where your reward comes. His is your only security. Give freely to the Lord. Exalt the name of the Lord with your money. To be truly wealthy, we must be active. Third, to be truly wealthy, we must be active. We must be wise. We must exalt God. We must be active. Proverbs has more to say, and actually the funnest Proverbs are about laziness. The Bible really dislikes laziness. And perhaps more than any other topic, especially any other topic when it concerns money and when it concerns riches, sloth is the thing that is mentioned most often. The most famous of these is probably Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise without having any chief officer or ruler, chief officer or ruler, She prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food for harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. 
and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. No one tells the ant how to work. No one tells the ant where to go. It just instinctively knows to go and work and work and work. They are models of industry and efficiency. We are to be like the ant. And you are going to want rest. You're going to want it because you're not a machine. You're going to want it because God has built you that way. But you can look at this this verse, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and think that that is sort of describing all of the same event, that we shouldn't ever want sleep or we shouldn't ever want rest because all they want is just a little sleep or a little slumber. But I don't think that that's what that means. I think that they're cumulative. I think that they're sequential. I think that he gets a little sleep and then he wants a little bit of slumber. And then maybe before we get going, I'll just I'll, I'll fold my hands and, and just rest a little bit. Listen, you need rest. You do. God has built rest into what he calls us to. If not, you're going to sleep, okay? You need rest. However, your lives should not be marked by rest. Your lives should not be marked by leisure. Your lives should be marked by activity. You should be industrious in the things that you do and how hard you work. Listen to all of these Proverbs. Let them sink in. I'm going to read them quickly. When we go online, I will post all of them online so you can pick them up if you can't write them down on time. Proverbs 10.4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. 12.11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. 13.4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. 14.23. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. 19.15 Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and the idle person will suffer hunger. Proverbs 20.13 Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes, and you will have plenty of bread. Proverbs 20.30-34 Sounds a lot like something we've heard before. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and a stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Probably the best of them all are two par- Proverbs that sound almost identical. Proverbs 19.24, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. I have been lazy in my life, but I have never been that lazy. When my hand makes it to a dish, it almost always makes it back to my mouth. And this is the point, is this is how lazy people act. It seems like that is an extravagant statement, but from the view of the Lord, this is what you're doing. You have all of your wants there. All you have to do is go get them. You refuse to because you're lazy and sluggish. Proverbs 26, 15. A sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Right? Just, oh, I'm so tired. I can't even get what I, what I need. Kids come into this world unable to do anything for themselves. It's annoying. <laughs> now, th- they move away from that. We were all there. Don't laugh at my kids. You were all there. And they'll sit there. And as they get older, we try to teach them how to feed themselves. But what do they do? They sit there and open their mouths. And you're supposed to just shovel food into their mouths, right? That's what the sluggard is doing. 
He seems to be unable to use a fork or to use his hand in order to get food into his mouth. They have open mouths. All they want is for people to feed them. The slugger didn't even prepare the food. He's still too lazy to feed himself. Friends, lest you think that this is just about putting hours in at work. It's not just about how many hours you work. It's about the diligence that you have at the job you do. How many times do we read when it talks about servants and their masters that you are to work unto the Lord like in Ephesians 6? You're not working for your boss. You're working for the Lord. Work diligently for them. Activity is the means by which God has appointed for us to gain the necessities of this world. Not the government, not churches, not anything else, but your activity. It doesn't mean that those things aren't good and that they're not there to help people who cannot But for the vast majority of us, it is our activity and our own industriousness that is there to provide for our means. You must be active. You must be wise, exalting of God, active, and also for logical. Logical. When I mean logical, I don't mean economic logic. Okay? So, in economic logic, to make more money, there are certain ways statistically that you can do this. You could be a white man. Most of you can't accomplish that. Some of you can't accomplish that. So we'll move on to something else and maybe cover that a different time. You can go to college, okay? So people who go to college make more money than people who don't. You could live within your means. As long as you live within your means, you'll have more disposable income for the things that you need to be disposing your income on. You could marry. Statistically, married people have more money. But we're not talking about the logic of economics. What we mean when we say you need to be logical is you need to be logical in your faith. Reject, reject the logic of material things and reject the logic of economics. Friends, you cannot confuse money and blessing. This is the mistake people have made since time immemorial. To look at people who have and to think that God has blessed them in a way that he does not bless people who don't have. This is a typical, widespread belief. I'm going to encourage you today to not give in to that lie. We're talking about what makes you wealthy. I'm telling you, it's not money. Proverbs 10, 15 through 16. Again, listen to how Proverbs speaks here in verse 15 and how we need to even read Proverbs in context. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. That seems like what it's telling us is we should get all the money we can get. Because if we're left in poverty, that will be to our ruin. And certainly there is truth in that. There's truth in the way that this works in the world. If you have money, according to the things of the world, you have more protection from the things that can happen in the world. We know that rich people get better legal representation than people who are poor. We know that the courts favor, I just, there's no way to say it otherwise, they favor rich people over poor people. We know that having money provides protection against bad economies. That when the economy goes through a downturn, it adversely affects the poor much more than it affects the rich. It provides you protection against bad communities. People who are wealthy can move. People who are poor often cannot provides you protection against accidents. You lose a car, 
If you have money, even if it's a pain, you can replace that car. If you're poor, you can't. And so a rich man's wealth is his strong city. It does provide some sort of protection from them. And the poverty of the poor is their ruin. They don't have the ability to handle that kind of stuff. But the very next verse, verse 16, says, The wage of the righteous leads to life, the gain of the wicked to sin. Listen, riches can provide you some security here in the world, but the only thing that will ever provide you life is righteousness. That's it. All the money in the world you want, you have no security, you have no protection, you have ultimately no strong city outside of righteousness. It is righteousness that people need to live, not money. Proverbs 11.4 Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Proverbs 11.7 When the wicked dies, his hope will perish, and the expectation of wealth perishes too. Proverbs 11.28 Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Listen, this is so firmly embedded in us that God's blessing and God's favor goes upon the wealthy. But it's not a modern preoccupation. It is an ancient one. Matthew 19, 23 through 24, Jesus gives a truly outstanding statement to his disciples. A rich man has come up to him and he says, what do I need to do to get into heaven? And Jesus says, well, the commandments would be a good place to start. He says, yeah, which ones? He says, well, I don't know. Let's, let's think about this. We've got the murder one. We've got adultery. We've got bearing false witness, honor your mother and your father, stealing. Oh, let's start with those. H- how are you doing on those? Said, good. good. Check them off. I'm good. He says, all right. All right. I'll tell you what. If you really want to be perfect, sell your money. G- give away all of your possessions. Give them to the poor, and then you'll be perfect. And the rich man leaves sad. And Jesus says to his disciples, I say to you, It is only with difficulty a rich person will enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It is difficult for those who are wealthy, for those who are rich, by the things of the world to enter into the kingdom of God. And Peter doesn't get it. The disciples don't get it. What is Peter's response? If he's not going to get it, what chance do we have? I think that that needs to be explained. Peter's Peter's response to that is, is... sort of weird for us. But Peter is making the mistake that so many of us make, that we look at material wealth and material possessions as though that person has been blessed by God. And in effect, what Jesus sounds to be saying to Peter is, the blessed person cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And Peter says, if a blessed man can't enter the kingdom of heaven, then who can? Jesus says, well, that's impossible for man, but nothing is impossible for God. It is righteousness you need, not wealth. Not wealth. Do not confuse material blessings with the blessing of true, true wealth in God. James 2, 1 through 5 says this, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing, if he were to come into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, well, you, you sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down on my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world 
to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. You need to understand something about these churches. These churches were dirt poor. So when they saw Flava Flav come walking in with that great big gold clock and all of his gold teeth, they weren't thinking, this is my ticket to a new Tesla or a new Lamborghini. That's not what they were thinking. They're thinking, this guy is literally a meal ticket. Literally, he will put food in the mouths of my family. They're not thinking that they're going to get super rich from this guy. They're thinking that their daily needs might be met because they were incredibly impoverished. And James says, you still can't do it, guys. You can't do it. Because you think that that is the blessing of God. That's not the blessing of God. Notice what he says at the end. Are not, are not the poor in the world chosen by God to be rich in faith? God does not bless rich people by making them rich. And God does not condemn poor people by making them poor. There is wealth beyond the wealth of this world. And do not succumb to the lie. Don't succumb to the lie that money is blessing because it just isn't. To be truly wealthy, we need, we need to be trusting as well. Listen, do you trust God enough with your money to give it away? Do you trust God enough with your money to give it away? Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. What a beautiful turn of phrase. The one who waters will himself be watered. It is a fool's errand to think that you get wealthy by keeping things in, that, that you, can, you can hoard money to yourself and be wealthy before God by keeping all of your stuff for yourself. And God says, no, by generosity, I will make you generous. I will entrust more to you. Proverbs 14, 20 and 21. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Again, Proverbs. This, that seems to indicate if I don't want to be disliked, I ought to make a lot of money. The very next verse. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner. So the poor are disliked. And the rich people have a lot of friends. But he says, if you despise your neighbor because he's poor, you're a sinner. But blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. 1917. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 21, 13. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Proverbs 28, 22. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Listen, Proverbs makes it incredibly clear. To give freely of your money and generously of your money is the essence of what is good for you and honors God. Listen, this point is simply an extension of exalting God. You exalt God by giving him money and you exalt God by giving your neighbors money by being generous to those who are poor around you to deny one is ultimately and always in the christian life to deny the other we should give them the gospel and we should give them aid so we have plenty of people i've run into people who say well listen when we do missions 
We're just going to evangelize. We want to go to Africa and make sure that the good news is proclaimed. But we're, we're not really helping them with water. and We're not helping them with, with food. We're not helping them with health care. We're not helping them with any of that other stuff. What they really need is the gospel. No doubt. What they really need is the gospel. You, know, you, you feed a man, he will live another day. He takes in the gospel, he will live for eternity. There is a greater need in the gospel. But to think that because there's a greater need in the gospel, you can reject and ignore the lesser needs of this world is a false gospel. That is no gospel. It is nothing less than a denial of the gospel or at the very least shows a weak and insipid faith in what God has called you to be. Again, we turn to the book of James, James 2, 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith but doesn't have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warm and filled, without getting them the things necessary for the body, what good is that? What use is your faith? If your faith doesn't clothe people and put food before them, your faith is worthless and you are, you are kidding yourselves. You are, as James has called you earlier, deceivers. You can hear the word, but you aren't refusing to do it. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Listen, let's, let's talk for a second about the gospel. What does the gospel do? At least part of the gospel is the idea that God will send his spirit and regenerate your heart. Okay? So that regeneration makes you love God. It makes you love his word, okay? That's part of our faith in God and trusting in God is our love of God. We turn back to God and love him. Now let's listen to what Jesus says. Someone comes up to him and says, eh, I want to know. You know, maybe, maybe you can answer. What's the greatest commandment? What does Jesus say? Well, you got to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he says, and... Love your neighbor as yourself. Actually, he says, and the second is like unto it. it. It's like it. It's, it's connected to it. Jesus can't even answer the question, what is the greatest commandment, and talk only about God. He has to tack on. You also have to love your neighbors. You can't separate the two. You can. Jesus didn't, and I'd warn against it. Jesus didn't, James didn't, Peter didn't, Paul didn't. Do you want me to go on? You cannot separate the two. It's unbiblical to separate the two. They can't do it because the second is a demonstration that the first is actually true in you. If you don't love your neighbors, you don't love God. 1 John 4, 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. It is not for nothing that if we go back to Leviticus 23, after he talks about giving God the first fruits, later on in that same chapter, 12 verses later, he says, you cannot also harvest your field all the way out to the edges, but you have to leave fields with edges to them so that the poor can come and glean from it. You give the first to me, you give some to your neighbors, you give some to the poor. This is the way that it works. We are made to be made right with God. But one of the demonstrations that we are right with God is we promote justice, we promote good amongst people as well. We cannot separate out the two. 
We must be wise. We must be exalting God. We must be active, logical, trusting, and last, but certainly not least, we need to be happy. We need to be happy. To be wealthy is to realize that the Lord is the source of all good things. And therefore, it's to be happy and content in him. Proverbs 10.22 The blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. No sorrow. There's no, there's no pain with it. There's no difficulties. The riches of the world have their difficulties. Strain to get them. You strain to keep them. You strain to get more of them. But the wealth of the Lord, the riches that come from the Lord, has no sorrow with it. There's no regret with it. Listen, God does desire to bless you, to make you rich, and his riches have no sorrow in tow. The wealth of which we speak is not an earthly wealth, but a wealth of riches that goes well beyond earthly money. We want you to be wealthy in faith, wealthy in deeds, in kindness, in charity, in love. You might have a secure inheritance which is waiting for you in heaven. And it's secured for you in heaven because Jesus Christ has purchased it for you. It's secure in heaven because you, by believing in Christ, have already gone through the final judgment. There is no more condemnation for you. Jesus Christ has taken all of the guilt that would have been poured upon you on himself. And he has shown himself to be faithful and true because God raised him from the dead. So not only was your death sentence upon him, but he overcame that. And God shows that he has accepted it by raising him from the dead. So if you trust in him, you've already gone through the final judgment. You already have, you already have a clearance from God. God brings you into his family and your brother Jesus will allow you to share with him all of his inheritance, which is everything. More than you could possibly imagine. So, if you are a Christian, no matter what situation you find yourself in this world, listen, there is a reason and a cause for joy and happiness in you. And oddly enough, Having Christ makes our concerns about money in this world seem very, very insignificant. Many people would say that the rich, if we are going to define rich, rich people are those who don't have to worry about money. Well, welcome to the class of the rich, those of you who trust in Christ. Listen to the book of Philippians and Paul's voice here. As he is in jail, he is imprisoned, and he writes to the Philippians who have done a tremendously kind thing in sending him some stuff. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now in your translations, there's a period there that should be a colon. This is the secret. What is the secret to facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need? What's the secret to being elevated and being given worldly blessings and not letting it go to your head and turning away from the Lord? And what is the secret to being brought low and having those same blessings being taken away from you and struggling with the things of the world continuously? Paul says, this is the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That is, he is content in Christ and that strengthens him. 
So may you be wise with your money and find true wealth. May the Lord Jesus Christ strengthen you that you may be content. Let us pray. Father, we pray that all we do is right before you. And that is no different when it comes to how we view and handle our money. We pray that we are good stewards of what you have given us, not because it is good for us alone, but because you are worthy of our efforts in all of these things. You are worthy of worship, praise, honor, and glory. Indeed, you are worthy of all of the offerings that we might bring. We pray then that you are glorified in the lives of your people, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.